I was on Malibu Shores, which was like a pretty brief series. It was only on for like eight episodes, but I was stunned on Malibu Shores when um, actors in the show actually had to ask us, the writers, before they changed a line. They'd call and, you know, say, can I change this line? Which had like never happened before because in, in features and even to a certain extent movies of the week, you have no power as a writer, like none. Welcome to Best in Fest, and I'm Leslie LaPage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film and learning the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. Today, oh, I'm so excited to have our guest, Kathleen Rowell, on here. Uh, she is amazing. She has a summa cum laude uh, BA in film writing from UCLA and an MFA in professional writing from USC. And she's earned her living as a member of the Writers Guild for over 30 years. She's adapted H. E. Hinton's novel, The Outsiders, for the screen. She serves on the committee of the Writers Guild as an arbitration consultant and a member of policy review boards. For the last five years, she's taught screenwriting symposiums at Columbia College. She is also currently collaborating with Kristen Coppola. Yes, that is from the Coppola family of Coppolas on an adaptation of William Faulkner's short story, Dry September. So welcome to Best and Fest. Uh, thank you for having me. Let's start with... You have this passion for writing, and in high school, right? You were this undiscovered future write, writer to be. How did the seed of writing, um, you know, spark your interest as we kind of work our way up through your career? I actually, my real dream was to be a novelist. That's what I wanted, and, and I planned to be an English major at UCLA, and then that's how I was accepted. And I just happened to be looking through the catalog one day, and I noticed that in fine arts, fine arts, if you were there, instead of Bachelor of Letters and Sciences, you didn't have to take math or science or Shakespeare or Milton or any of these other subjects that I knew were just going to be torture. And you could take creative writing and all these fun things. So, um, so I called and said, I want to be a, um, a fine arts theater major. And until that time, I literally don't think I ever considered that people actually wrote movies and TV. It was, I mean, my family had nothing to do with the film business. It was... Just something that inspired you. But it was really lucky because I still have a published novel. I had a very good career as um, a film writer. So I ended up in the right place, even though it was a, a lucky accident. But sometimes the best things come out of lucky accidents, right? Well, let's kind of jump a little forward. You've got your career path. You're in, you're in college. And coming out of college, you had this huge opportunity, right? Your big break was The Outsiders. How did that come into your plate? That came out uh, after grad school, and uh, I somebody read spec scripts. It always starts with spec scripts, and, and they liked those. And Fred Roos in particular, he's a wonderful casting agent. He cast The Godfather and American Graffiti and all these great movies. And, uh, and he liked the spec script and uh, introduced me to Cindy Williams, and I was writing a movie of the week for her, but that meant I had an office in the zoetrope lot. And you really can't underestimate being in the right place at the right time and being visible so that people see you when they're walking to and from work and just remember that you're alive. So I think that was really helpful. And because I happened to be there, and it, it, um, a bunch of kids in middle school or something had written a letter to Francis asking him to um, direct to the outsiders. They really wanted to make it into a movie. And so Zotrope was interested in that. And uh, I met with them, and um, 
and I got the job. Well, I know that in middle school for most of LA Unified and the other Unifieds that uh, The Outsiders is still one of their main reading books. And then after they finish reading it, they see the movie. That legacy has really continued on. But what was it like uh, working on The Outsiders? It's amazing because there's really Susie, what Susie Hinton achieved because it's her novel and uh, it's her baby. And it's very, the movie's very close to the book. It's, it's very iconic. It's lived for a long time. I mean, I'm really talking about the book now, not so much the movie, but we're quite a few years past when The Outsiders came out and still most people know what it is. Most people, a lot of people have seen it. And when my when my kids were young, I'd have babysitters to like one of my autograph and stuff. And it was always like so surprising to the kids. But it was just interesting to me that another whole generation was kind of interested in the movie still. I think it's universal and, you know, Again, kudos to Susie Hinton. She did a great job in the book. Right. Well, for those that are listening that haven't seen The Outsiders, the movie, or read the book, you should do both. But even the movie itself, really just the cast was an outstanding, you know, group of, at that time, young actors that weren't really the hot people that we now know they've grown into be. So it was such a pivotal movie yeah, it was very much like The Godfather and American Graffiti, um, in that he really, Fred Roos has a great eye for spotting stars, you know, really before, the, everybody almost in those movies became big stars. Uh, he just really could see, see them. Did he want the writer? Did he want you on set fixing things? What was that relationship like? Uh, there, there really wasn't a relationship because initially another director was going to direct the movie. And so, so we had meetings and stuff when that was happening. But once Francis decided to direct the movie, he did another rewrite himself. So, um, so from that point, of, from that point on until, until really the screening, I had, I had nothing to do with it. After that, what was the next film you really segued into from that as your launching pad? Because now you know, you after doing that, you were considered, you know, hot stuff, right? So what was your next step um, in, in your path? I did some things that didn't get made, which was too bad because it, it was, the, I did have a fair amount of work after that, but some of them didn't end up getting made. But probably the next one, really The Outsiders is the biggest movie. Here No Evil I did with Robert Greenwald with M. Marley Matlin was in it. And, um, and so that would be the next movie that was getting made. And then after that, I kind of, in part, because it's so much easier, segued into um, movies for television because they get made, there's a lot of advantages. They, they get made much more quickly. Almost always, they don't keep changing writers. You know, there's not so much rewriting on, on those. Usually they, they'll stick with one person through to the end and it, you get a yes or a no and things, things just move more quickly. In features, it seems like, particularly now with the cake bake kind of style of writing and stuff that they're able to have 30 writers writing the same script. So let's talk about those uh, MOWs, which is a whole different, you know, ball game. How did those happen to you? What was the working relationship you had when you were writing those for network? And, and what's that relationship when a writer is hired to, or brought in for the um, for the writing and that mutual benefit that happens between the writer and the network. That's really a pretty good working relationship. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that rewrites don't happen in that area because they do, but generally speaking, you're involved every step of the way. And uh, even more so in series, I was on Malibu Shores, which was like a pretty brief series. It was only on for like eight episodes, but I was stunned on Malibu Shores when um, 
actors on the show actually had to ask us, the writers, before they changed a line. They'd call and, you know, say, can I change this line? Which had like never happened before, because in, in features and even to a certain extent movies of the week, you have no power as a writer, like none. And the other producers on Malibu Shores, like, they made me say no. They made me get on the phone and say, no, you can't change that line just to have that power of... You know, you don't have it in uh, in feature. I know playwrights have it. So it was just surprising to me to find out that the writer, I think, gets more respect in television than they do in features. Again, that's probably not true, obviously, of, of all writers like this. The super, super A-list writers, they would probably get that much respect. Right, right, of course. Um, how do you see, since we're kind of uh, uh, touching on television, how do you see TV the boom of television content right now, the boom of SVOD content uh, right now, how, how do you see that playing into women writers, you know, projected storylines, trends? It's really kind of unlimited. You know, a lot of this, the series, and they're great series. They're, they're things that never, ever, ever would have been on the air, you know, um, 20 or 30 years ago. And, and um, there's just so many. There's more things than I have time to watch, you know, so... Um, and they're good. They're high quality. I think that's why you see so many feature stars and directors and writers all doing television now, because some stories are just longer. You know, some stories aren't going to fit into two hours. Some stories you need eight episodes or like two seasons, you know, depending on what it is to really tell it adequately. And uh, TV is so flexible. Which is a good thing. Do you see any uh, trends happening in television over the next five years that you've kind of earmarked? I know, I do think women are getting a lot more shows and a lot more power in TV. And I've noticed for directors, um, female directors were relatively rare, you know, um, for a long time. And now I frequently I'll notice it's a woman director on, on, on a lot of things. And I think that that's super positive. I don't know, I would say, you know, certainly Movies of the Week were a very female-driven market. And um, I, think, I think television in general is, you know. Yes, scripted definitely serves that female demographic much more uh, than others. And we have seen an increase in those women staff writers that are coming in. We've still got a long ways to go. The numbers are still not completely balanced, still not completely balanced with uh, women of color. But at, at least we're starting to see a little bit of a shift, which is good. How do you start your writing process when you are either writing for a network or let's say the network is having you, you know, repitch something that they want to hire you as a, you know, work for hire writer on. What's your process on that? A lot of it's just trying to really understand what they want because you're, you're never going to be able to give it to them completely because obviously no, no two brains are in perfect sync, but to, to really get that is if you're doing an assignment. Uh, pitching an original is somewhat different, but uh, I did a tremendous number of assignments. In the first drafts, I let myself really just go. I don't try to think too hard about the first drafts, and I usually overwrite them uh, so that they're too long. But I think it's important to um, to not get too tense, you know, just to let it let it all go on the first draft, and and because um, it's always easier to cut than it is to add to things. And um, and frequently people start in the wrong place, you know. Um, I start in the wrong place, I should say. But um, David Mamet has these three questions he likes to ask when he's writing a script, and it's. Uh, why now? Who wants what from whom? And what happens if they don't get it? And I think the important question there is really, from what I've seen in student writing and everything else, is, is why now? Why are you starting the script now at this place? Because the first 10 pages are so critical when people are reading it. You want those first 10 pages to work. And, and frequently, people start way before they need to. Once I was adapting a, a novel, 
And I, I started writing before they gave me the final okay on the outline because I thought, oh, I know how this is going to go. And I wrote a whole act, the whole act of, you know, it was just gone. They decided to start the story later. They were right. But, um, you know, I could have saved myself the time it took to write that act. Yeah. When you're working with the network uh, and you are doing a writing assignment, do they have you do an outline first? Do they want you to take it to first draft and just let it go? How do they do they dictate, as in the previous story, exactly where they want you to start? Can you explain that for those that are listening in that may not have that experience? There will be a lot of meetings. And uh, usually a producer will be attached, sometimes a star or something like that. So you've got to get everybody's input. But yeah, there's always a, it's always really like a five-part deal. There's always a, a detailed step outline that's got to get approved. And then you do a first draft, a second draft, and a polish. But in between those, there's, the Writers Guild doesn't really like this, but in between those, there's frequently a producer's polish. You turn it into the producer, and then they want a couple things tweaked before they go to the network for the yes or no. And the Writers Guild would prefer writers don't do that. Um, because it's an unpaid rewrite. I always did it, and I think most writers do it just because there's a million people who want these jobs and somebody else will do it, you know. So but I just shouldn't say that, though, because the writers... Anyway, <laughs> but I, I think it's common practice to do those little extra things. So can we say that that is a dirty little secret of Hollywood, that the writers who want to keep those writing assignments might have to give a little, you know, in that producer's rewrite to, to help move it forward. Yeah, I think so. It's in everybody's interest to move it forward, you know, if you look at it that way, because it's just better for everybody if it actually gets made. So it's in your own interest, too. So after this kind of cleaning up, uh, do you have then an opportunity to really uh, vocalize if you feel maybe the producer might be going in a different direction or the network? Do you feel comfortable that that um, that's a legit way of the writer chiming in saying, hey, listen, guys, you know, this is going to have ramifications in the story. Have you thought of that? How, how do you work with those sensitive corrections? To an extent, yeah, but also... It's something I feel like you've got to really be careful of because you can really um, kill a project too. Uh, it, people will come up with a lot of ideas because I find that everybody wants to put their little fingerprints on a piece of work. You know, everybody wants to make their contribution, and sometimes their ideas are really terrible, and, and they don't understand how pulling this one block out is going to make the whole structure collapse. But you don't want to tell them that because you'll make them. And I, I did once explain that to people, and, and I. Even before I finished, I knew I'd lost that job because I just made somebody feel stupid. And nobody wants to feel stupid. So what you've, you've got to do kind of, listen, I don't know, is it's just say, that's really interesting. Let me think about that. You know, just act like you're taking it under consideration and then completely ignore it because they're going to forget. They're going to forget what they said. They're working on a million different things. They're not even going to remember. They're never going to come back to it and, uh, with any luck. And... Um, but you want to, you really have to pick your battles. Uh, if things, something's really crucial, sure, you've got to stand up for it. You've got to make sure it's right. But some littler battles, you kind of, at least in my mind, you kind of have to lose because it's a collaborative medium. And a lot of the time when I thought the notes were really stupid and I was really angry at the network, I'd come home and I'd just be fuming. I'd just, you know, feeling like I'd been attacked and everything. I don't want to do these notes. And, uh, I would do them and the script would be better an awful lot of the time. That was true. And, and I didn't see it, but they did and they were correct. And so I got to give them that too. Sometimes notes I initially disagreed with, 
were actually pretty brilliant once I actually executed them. I know you teach uh, writing. So how do you and what do you suggest to, you know, the new writers out there? What is their your procedure on a maybe starting off on uh, the idea, the kernel of the idea for, let's say, a spec script uh, as we segue from TV to film? You know, how do you suggest what's your tool base that you say, OK, this is like the first thing you do, second thing you do, third thing you do, you know, in order to kind of help that uh, script materialize? For me, I think it's really important to to try and write something. It, it's great to write something commercial, you know, personal, you know, about your, your high school experiences or whatever. And, uh, and a lot of people do that. Uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a smart move. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's good to keep an eye on the marketplace. And uh, because screenplays aren't like a book, you can't like put it in your drawer and publish it later, or publish it really on Amazon or, you know, have it published after your death. Nobody publishes screenplays. They're blueprints for something else to be built. And so you, to have them have much worth at all, something else has to be built. And to do that, you have to be able to attract a wider interest. So I would urge my students to go commercial. Some of them really don't want to. They want to make independent films. They've got, you know, this vision. If they've got that in passion for something, fine. They should, they should do that, by all means. And independent films obviously do get made, and some do really, really well. So it's, it's you know, you can't always just say, aim for the most in commercial thing. But... Um, I would try to keep an eye on the marketplace and keeping an eye on the, on the commercial aspect. Okay. So after they decide, you know, independent commercial, let's say, say they choose commercial, then what's their next toolbox um, that you have them go through? Do you have them write a full synopsis? Do you have them go right into outline and what does that look like on, on either one? I have them do an outline and outlines are good. I, truthfully really don't like to read outlines and I don't like to write them either, which isn't to say I don't think they're valuable. I do think they are. I do them myself and I, I think you have to kind of force yourself to do it. They're not entertaining though at all, but they, they just help you. And the truth is just, you always go off the outline, you know, just like anything you plan in life goes off a little bit. It's, it's not going to end up where you thought it was going to be. So, um, so once things start to leave the outline, I, I don't worry too much about that, but you do need to have a destination. You know, you need to know that you're flying to New York, as opposed to you're flying to Atlanta. You know, you've got to point in the right direction. Outline can give you that, the map. And then after that, do you have them then start directly into writing a scene with the with the dialogue off the outline? Do you have them write the end scene? What's your next kind of step that you groove them into? I have them just write it sequentially, you know, start at the beginning. Some people do it differently, yeah. And then that's okay, although actually mine have students have usually complied and then usually the first draft is not too good although you can tell who's going to be good and who's not pretty early on I would it, it doesn't really change a lot you know it, the, the ones who really have talent just kind of just leap out at you it always gets better I my belief is a lot of people probably submit their scripts too soon they think they're ready like you know because you're your classmates like it and your aunt likes it and says so those ready to go. It's probably not. And you're only going to maybe get one read, one read because there's readers and they do coverage and it lives forever. And um, so it's, it's very important to make sure you, you, you know, show people your absolute best effort. And that is not going to come. I don't even think on the fifth draft, I think it takes longer and, and more eyes on it really, you know? And also I think anything is better when it's a little bit shorter Every time I've looked at my own work, I can almost always go back and cut 10% and make it better. 
uh, overall. So that's a, that's a good rule, uh, the 10% rule, where you go back and you just go, hey, let's just trim that fat away, you know, and make it a leaner, cleaner. We're getting rid of this funny pages. Yeah, right, exactly. So that's why you write a little bit more with the fat on the bone so that you can have that, that ability to cut back, right? And that's how you're advising the students to kind of write a little bit more fat. Yeah, you can in the beginning because you're still kind of finding people. You're finding your characters and everything. It, it takes a little while, and then you can eliminate some of that. For a lot of professional writers are pro this, and a lot of young writers don't quite understand. Uh, what's your viewpoint on once you get to a point where you say, okay, this is I can now show this script, sending it out to your friends, your experts, your other writers to take a look at it and give them your opinion. Do you take all these opinions? Do you take the best out of them? How, how do you work that when you're sending it out? Well, you really have to get an agent to send it out. And that is, I think, really, really hard. That's, that's one of the, when you're unknown, that's the hardest thing at all is, is to get somebody. It, people in this town don't really like to read. None of them like to read. And so even getting your friends to read it sometimes is like a coup. So um, you have to kind of network and know somebody who can get an age. It's hard to get it read by anybody who can do anything for you. Well, we'll talk about agents in one second. But going back to the, to the question, when you personally are writing a spec script and you've finished or you're advising your students to, you know, it's now ready to show. And you're showing it not to get it funded yet, but to hear feedback to make corrections. Uh, do you send this out to your other writing people? Do you find confidants? Do you use a writing coach? And and once you have those notes back, how do you approach the notes? Oh, I do. I do send it out to, to kind of as many people as I can get who read it and who are willing to tell me the truth, you know, because some people just say, oh, it's great. I love it. And, you know, blah, blah. That's not very useful. I like to know where you get sleepy. I want to know, you know, I like to put Z's by the part where, I like to know where they put it down. I want to know if they read it from the beginning to the end. And if they put it down, I want them to make an X, you know, whether they decided to, to finish it tomorrow morning, because that's probably a dead spot in the script. You know, if, if you can put it down, it's, it's not a good thing. And you need to know where those places are. And sometimes the feedback is different. Somebody will say, oh, I love this bit. This is great. And somebody else will say, I hate this. Script. You know, that's, uh, that's frequently neither one of them is right. What that really means is there's a problem there in the script that has to be addressed. They don't know what the problem is. They know there's a problem there. So it, when I get conflicting feedback, I have to go back and take a look. The more people who will read and tell you the truth, in, the better, you know. Some, some people really can't handle, <laughs> can't handle the truth. In, uh, you see, it's, just want to defend their work and say, oh, it's perfect. The way, all they want is to hear it's perfect and that they, you love it and they don't want to change a word. And... If I know you're that type of person, I will tell you your script's perfect and by all means submit it tomorrow, you know, because <laughs> there's no point in giving detailed notes to somebody who's, who can't hear them. What's the best advice you can give to a young writer who isn't produced but wants to secure an agent or manager? Do you suggest festivals, competition? For me, I was really lucky and always got it through school. My, my professors got me my first agents, you know, so that, that was always really useful. They, they knew who... Uh, they knew people. And um, I think, so school is always really good, or classes. You know, if you get somebody to kind of discover you, that's great. Also, I really do believe in contests. I, I think they're a, a great thing, and festivals too. You know, anything that gets you out there, even if you just meet somebody who reads it, who likes it, who might give it to somebody else, that's as useful as like winning first prize. So if you, if you participate, you have a better odds. 
And now there's things too, and I haven't really dealt with them that much. Um, the blacklist and things like that, where you can also get opinions. And what is your advice for young filmmakers in general who want to be writers, maybe want to be hybrids? Uh, what can you give them in maybe selecting stories or methods of writing or maybe television or film? have to be very serious. And I do think it's really important, and that's where festivals have come into it again, uh, meeting people. Because, it, you know, they used to say, uh, you know, if, if you have a good script, they'll find it somehow. You know, all good scripts will eventually get made. I don't think that's true. I've read some really good scripts that haven't been made yet, and I've seen some really bad scripts that have been made. So, uh, and sometimes the difference is who you know and uh, how it gets read. And so it's just very important. I think you, I know you can live anywhere in the country, theoretically, but I, I do think it's useful to live in Los Angeles uh, and useful to be, to be meeting people in any way you can, whether it's festivals or, you know, workshops or classes or, you know, to be in the mix somehow, because it's not entirely who you know, but a lot of it is who you know. What is a dirty little secret or a secret that, gosh, you wish you had known earlier on that you've now learned, you know, along your path? In many ways, the deck is rigged. I know the, the game is rigged. The deck is stacked a little bit. People always like, it's, it's not an open playing field. It's, an, it's not like it's impossible, but it's kind of like Vegas where the house has the odds. A lot of it is comes down to, um, to that somehow trying to figure out a way to even those odds. Like one way might be if you happen to know anybody at all who has any power, come up with a great idea that they could produce or star in or something and say, hey, we could collaborate on this. You'll do all the work, but just hooking yourself to somebody, I mean, it's really useful. It's, it's very, very hard for nobody to get noticed. Thank you so much for coming on Best and Fest. And for any of those that want to listen to this, there'll be a video component of this on our LaFemme channel on YouTube. If you'd like to hear the audio podcast, go to any of the platforms. Make sure you like us and um, and rank us and rate us on this. For those that are interested in attending the LaFemme International Film Festival, we're selling tickets right now. So join us at the festival. Kathleen Rowell. Thank you so much for being on Best in Fest. Uh, do you want to shout out any of your socials or ways of them to get a hold of you? Oh, I, I have one other piece of advice I could give people, which is uh, keep a diary. That's something I've done my entire life is uh, a daily diary, and that is really useful. DickKathleenRowell.com. So all those that want to get in touch with her, make sure you reach out to her on her website. Take her advice. Keep things written down in a diary. I'm sure specifically for those writers that uh, you'll be able to pull from your experiences and incorporate those into your writing in the future. Great piece of advice. Thank you so much. Best and fast.